Well, today we are going to continue our journey uh, going through the life of Christ. Um, we're, we're taking a, a chronological look uh, through the life of Christ. And to help you in this journey, I want to remind you, uh, does everybody have already a, a sermon notebook? All right, I just want to remind you, that this sermon notebook, they're over there by the doors. Uh, they're a great resource because in the opening kind of pages here after the Bible reading plan, which is very useful, which I'm one day behind, but that's okay. I'll catch up. Uh, the reading plan, there are these maps uh, in the opening pages there. These maps will help you kind of follow along uh, with our messages. We're actually already up, if you have the book in front of you, we're already up to map three. So we are just flying through the life of Christ. So you'll see map three there. You'll see Nicodemus at night. That is number three. There's no number three actually on the map, but it's at Jerusalem. So you'll see number one and the travels down. So this is just another great resource uh, for you to hold on to, for you to look at, uh, just to see kind of the actual journeys of Christ, like where he went, what he walked, all these different things uh, as we consider uh, what Christ has for us through this uh, journey. So uh, last week, Jim spoke about the cleansing of the temple, and it actually occurs during this, the same time as the event we're going to look at today, within the same time, the Passover uh, in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to have a very important conversation that we're about to talk about with a guy named Nicodemus. And, and this is a, a very well-known verse within this section. Obviously, we all know John 3, 16. Uh, we, we see it in references to sporting events. Uh, I sent out an email, which I'll talk about in a little bit, and one of the things Jim replied back was, I think about football when I see John 3.16, because you see the sign uh, up at all these different sports. We don't have any around here, but if you've ever gone to In-N-Out Burger, they have it on the bottom of their cups. I think they still have it on the bottom of their cups. Or if you go shopping at Forever 21, you might walk that place in the mall and, and see all the clothes in there, and they actually have on the bottom of their bags as well, John 3.16. Uh, Christian-owned companies, and then even the famous Tim Tebow, right? Everybody remembers Tim Tebow. Had it on his eye black, would write John 3.16 during his college games. Uh, so whenever he was kind of on camera, it would say John 3.16. So as important as that, as that verse is this morning, as we look at it, we're really going to focus on the context surrounding that verse, and think about what is Jesus teaching us and what is he teaching Nicodemus as he leads into those most famous verses of John 3.16. So pray with me, and we'll go ahead and read our passage for today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for gathering us here this morning as a body of believers who come to hear from your word. Lord, we ask that you would bless this time, that we'd be open to the challenges that you have for us that we would understand this, this conversation with Nicodemus better, and that we would see how it applies to our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and... It's a, it's a longer section, but we're going to read this whole section of John chapter 3, the first 21 verses, uh, just to kind of understand what is happening here in this story. So it goes like this, John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, 
For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at that what I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and, you don't, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and the people of this world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. For everyone who what Everyone who does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here we have this long conversation playing out here between Jesus and Nicodemus. And we're going to dive in and go through these and see what is it being taught to us today. So as we jump into this verse in verse 1, we get introduced to the first person in our account, Nicodemus. And we learn a few things about this man. John mentions that he is a Pharisee and a ruler of Israel. It's probably a good time for us to kind of focus in uh, on these Pharisees, because as we go through the life of Christ, we're going to run into a lot of Pharisees, and Jesus is going to say a lot to this group of people. See, the Pharisees developed over kind of the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they, they grew out of a, an opposition to the growing Greek influence as the Greeks had come in and conquered the land, and there was a big uh, growth within the Greek culture, and they wanted, to withstand, they wanted to stay true to their Jewish culture. So these Pharisees were these hyper-legalists. It wasn't just that they came and followed the, the Old Testament law, but they also followed over the 600 oral commands that had been developed as time went on. So they had the law upon the law, and they were hyper-legalist, following the law to the strictest of all the rules and calling out anybody who wouldn't follow the law. They had a deep devotion to this law, but they had one fatal flaw that Jesus would consistently call out among them during his ministry, that they were so focused on the externals of the following of the law that they failed to recognize 
their own depravity. And as they saw after the law, the law, the law, the law, they realized that there was something missing inside them. And Jesus was calling out and saying, you don't even realize what you truly need. And that's going to be the part of this story that we have with Nicodemus. But see, he just wasn't a Pharisee. It also mentions that he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was probably part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had rule over the people of Israel. Now, they were still under the Romans, but the Sanhedrin kind of ruled the people within Israel, although they couldn't do one thing. They couldn't allow capital punishment, which is why when Jesus is crucified, they have to send Jesus to the Romans because they couldn't crucify him themselves. That's a spoiler alert for later on in our series. So Nicodemus had to go through extensive training. He would have been noticed at a young age for his brightness, and they would have given him into the care of a teacher who would have raised him up in the law so that he would have all that he needs, knowledge-wise, to follow God. So then we move on to verse 2, and we find out that the timing of this conversation was at night. So John writes about this meeting that occurred at nighttime and in the darkness. And when you think about it, as you go through the life of Christ— there's not a lot of events that take place at night. He, he has his walking on water. That's probably at night of his storm. We have his arrest in the garden. That's at night. But most of the time, people were seeking out Jesus during the day. And I think as we proceed through this, we'll see an important part of him coming in the darkness. See, think about this. What had just occurred? What did Jim just talk about? The cleansing of the temple, right? made quite a scene that probably the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin probably didn't really appreciate. Some guy coming in and clearing out all the money changers in the temple, especially during the Passover when so many people were in the area. So that could be one reason why he's coming at night. He doesn't want to be seen talking to the guy who just made this big scene at the temple. So we have these various things coming, and then he comes to Jesus— and he gives them this name. He says, Rabbi, which was a common name for a teacher of the time. He goes on and he says, look, you, we, we understand that you are a teacher from God. And you notice that he says, we, that we know you are a teacher from God. So even though he is coming individually before Jesus, we kind of assume that there is a larger crowd maybe of Pharisees who are having these thoughts and wondering about, okay, who is this Jesus? He says, we, he says that nobody could do these signs unless God was with him. Right, Jesus is performing miracles at this point in his ministry. He's doing various signs. And he's saying, look, we understand that the things you are doing couldn't be done unless God was with the person performing them. So here he is. He's coming and wants to find out more about Jesus. But see, Jesus in this conversation is not going to talk about himself. He's going to come and say, look, I understand you're, you're thinking about these signs and these miracles and about who I am, but see, there's, there's a bigger meaning behind this conversation. There is a more important thing that you need to understand, and this is how Jesus responds, because he doesn't talk about his signs or miracles at all. Look at what he says. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is telling him, look, as I said, the signs and miracles are not important. Again, what is of most importance is being born again. You can see all that you, I do. You can see all these miracles. But let's have an important conversation about being born again. He says two important things. He says, first, as I said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. That's kind of the literal meaning of it. One who is born from above, born from God. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Then he also says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this would have been quite a shock to Nicodemus. He would have thought he could enter the kingdom by following the rules, by being the perfect Pharisee, by obeying the law word for word. That's how I get into the kingdom of God. But instead, he comes along and he says, no, the only way you get into the kingdom of God is unless you are born again. Again, Jesus is going to change everything Nicodemus ever thought to be true. Now, at this point in this story, if you know this, Nicodemus is confused because he responds and he says, what, what do you mean this birth? How, how can somebody enter into their mother's womb again and become born? Anybody else thinking that? It's kind of a weird thought, right? He's like, what is happening here? How can I be born again into my mother's womb? Then Jesus gives this long response here in beginning in verse 5. Again, he kind of repeats himself. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus now goes a little bit deeper into this understanding of what it is to be born again. Now, I know if you've been in church for a long time, you probably hear that word water and something goes off in your mind. You're thinking, what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about baptism, right? That's what we practice here in church. We have our little baptismal pool over here, and we fill it, and we think, okay, so maybe is he saying that we must be baptized into the kingdom of God? Well, I don't think that is what Jesus is saying at all. And let's think about this. Because where does the practice of baptism begin in Scripture? after he dies and after he rises again. Because baptism is a picture of his death and resurrection. So it must be something different than that. So then we have to get into the mind of a Pharisee. We have to get into the mind of a Jew. And what did water mean to them at this time? Well, we can think about this. There was a baptism that was occurring, right? The baptisms of John the Baptist. We talked about that a few weeks ago. A baptism of repentance, of cleansing. We also think about the Jews would even have a baptism. If somebody converted to Judaism, they would be baptized, cleansed, purified. We think about the priests, right? Before the priests could enter into the Holy of Holies, before they could put on their priestly gowns and everything, they had to wash themselves in order to be clean to go in to the temple. So we begin to get this bigger picture of what he's meaning when he talks about water. Jesus is saying that the new birth involves purification, which is represented by water. But he also says the Spirit. The transformation of the Holy Spirit is what brings new life into the believer. So we think about this, we have purification and we have transformation. And as we understand it, this is the work of the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives. So what Jesus is saying when he talks about water and the Spirit is that you need the Holy Spirit to come into your life. 
You need the Holy Spirit to come in and purify yourself, to transform you on the inside. He's breaking down the details of what it means to be born again. He further goes on with this in verse 6. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Human nature can only give birth to human nature. If you're in this room, you can only produce other humans. You ain't producing anything spiritual. If we want to be born again and, and born into the kingdom, we need a spiritual rebirth. Where does that involve? Again, the Holy Spirit coming into our lives is what brings new birth. He even says, Nicodemus he says, you shouldn't marvel at these teachings that you should be born again. And then in verse 8, Jesus gives an example of the wind and how the wind illustrates the point Jesus is making that we don't know how the wind works. We don't know how the Spirit works entirely, but we see the effects of the, the wind. You can see the, the trees blowing in the wind. And it says we don't see the Spirit at work, but oftentimes we, we see the effect in someone's life. Right? You think about the fruits of the Spirit, right? We see the fruit of the Spirit in somebody's life to know that person's a believer. They have the Spirit working in their lives. And then you get to verse 9. And verse 9 is the reaction that any parent you've probably had with a child. You've explained the story to them. You've explained all these things. And they look back at you and say, huh? Ah, there's, I've, you've, you've experienced, I can tell, you've experienced that. So you've gone through and you've told your kids maybe these rules or what they've done wrong or what they need to do. This is what I want you to do over the next hour. Here's your chores. And they look at you kind of blank-faced and say, huh, what'd you say? And that's what almost we get here. And in verse 9, Nicodemus just says, how? How are these things possible? What are you talking about? And Jesus is probably just like, Oh, okay. Let me explain this to you again. And he even says this. He comes across rather harsh. Look at verse 10. He says, Are you a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Ouch. He's saying, You should know these things. You should understand what I'm teaching. Remember in verse 7, he even said, Look, don't marvel at what I'm telling to you. So what does this tell If Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, understanding the law, understanding the Old Testament, if he shouldn't be surprised by these teachings, it tells us that this must be an Old Testament thought. That this must be something that was taught in the Old Testament that Jesus is now just saying, hey, this is what life is. This is the new birth. And if we look at Ezekiel 36 verses 25 through 27, we'll see exactly why Nicodemus should not be marveling at these things. The prophet says this. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, look, you, you've been missing the point. You and your other Pharisees have been so focused on the law that you're ignoring the clear teachings of Scripture. 
He's talking about here is a, a, cleansing, a cleansing, a forgiveness of sins, the, the new life, a new heart in the life of a believer. Listen to the words of Paul in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, He, Christ, saved us, not because of works done in us by our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And let's think about this. Paul was also a Pharisee. Now, we don't know if him and Nicodemus knew each other, but possibly being both being Pharisees, it's highly likely. And I almost kind of made this personal to Nicodemus, as from one Pharisee to another. So I kind of changed them. I didn't change Scripture. I just put Nicodemus' word, name, into what Paul just said. And look at it this way. Nicodemus, he saved you, not because of works done by you in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, and by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He says, look, you're trying so hard. You think you can earn your way into the kingdom of God. And he says, look, I'm turning all this on you. And it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done on the cross for us. I'm wearing this shirt on purpose. You're probably thinking, how dare he wear a T-shirt when he's preaching? But it says forgiveness. It's got a cross on it. It's okay to wear in church. Actually, I was dropping Ava off one time uh, at RVR, and one of the counselors there saw me wearing this shirt, and it's a shirt that's kind of released from a Christian rap group. And he saw the shirt, and he was like, wow, you're a cool dad. And I was like, yeah, tell that to her. And I don't think, I don't think she thought it was great. But anyways, I got my, I was like, I, was like, I, uh, I am a cool dad. But we think about this, and the forgiveness of sins that comes. And it's not about following the law. It's not about doing all these things, as we'll see as this story continues. And in verse 12, 11 and 12, we kind of see Jesus reflecting back on what Nicodemus said. Remember how Nicodemus came to Jesus? He says, look, we know that you are a teacher and that these signs come from God. But what does he say? In verse 11, Jesus says, we, which means maybe the disciples are with him. I mean, if John's recording this message in his gospel, he's probably there with this story. He says, we speak of what we know and bear witness to. He says, you think you know. We know the truth. We bear witness to what is true, and you do not receive our testimony. And, and the you here is actually plural. So what he's doing here, he's not just talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to all those others who also said, we know. And he's saying, but you don't know. You don't know about the kingdom of God. You think you have it all together, but you don't. He says, how could you possibly understand these things? Nicodemus, a great teacher of Israel, he's viewed as a great teacher. People look at him and think, wow, there goes Nicodemus. But Jesus is really telling him now that, you know what? You don't really understand anything. I'm going to tell you all about what it means with these heavenly things. And then Jesus says, look, I have the authority to do these. I'm the one who ascended from heaven. I'm the one who is able to speak on heavenly things. Nicodemus, you think you're qualified, but I am more qualified. 
I came down from heaven. I am the one who came down, and now I am the one who is teaching with you today, the Son of Man. At this point, Jesus now offers an object lesson to understand, help Nicodemus understand what's happening here. And he reminded him of the story from Numbers 21. Anybody familiar with this story? It's kind of like the, the Indiana Jones story within the Old Testament because there's snakes. Why is there got to be snakes, right? There we go. So here we are. Israel has just been rebelling and doing these awful things. They're sinning, sinning, and just doing, doing what Israel does best, right? Also us. So let's keep us in there. So here we are in Numbers 21, and God sends poisonous snakes throughout the camp. It goes and it bites them. And there's only one way in which they could provide salvation. God told Moses to, to get a, a bronze, make a bronze snake, to put it on a pole and to raise up that pole. And he says, as the people look at that snake, they will be saved. And Jesus says, that's how the Son of Man is going to be. He says, I am going to be lifted up on a pole just like that snake. And it is going to provide salvation for all those who look upon it. So first he explains the new birth. The uplifted serpent was a picture of lifting up Jesus on the cross, and it would bring new birth to people. And then he later on says within that same story, he explains to Nicodemus of just how you experience that new birth. And it's by belief, by having faith in Jesus Christ. The thought is that one must put his or her personal trust in Christ to do the very thing that he promised. And give the believing person eternal life. We are left assuming that Nicodemus maybe at this point didn't trust in Christ. It never says. We do see him appear later on in the life of Christ, and we'll get there in our journey. But we don't know where he left with this point. But all this now leads into the most famous verse in Scripture, John 3.16. And as I talked about that email before, I got a text from Randy, and he gave me uh, some thoughts about his kind of thinking through John 3.16. And I thought to myself, great idea, because the best ideas are always taken from others. So there you go. So I sent out this email. If you didn't get an email from me, don't feel discouraged. I probably just don't have your email on my youth uh, account. Church has your email, don't worry, but you've probably never gotten an email maybe from my youth account. Just didn't want anybody to be offended in a life and a culture of people getting offended. So, anyway, so here we have a couple thoughts that people shared with me uh, about what John 3.16 means to them. So Randy says this. He said, God sacrificed. Then he explains sacrifice. He says, sacrifice is giving up one's desire for the benefit of others. So God sacrificed his son to take on the sins of all so that we may be saved from eternal punishment and in believing in Christ's resurrection, we may benefit in our salvation and truly be children of the Father. Ashley said this, she said, For me, I was blessed with only one biological child. Addie is my greatest gift and couldn't imagine giving her up for a bunch of strangers for generations to come. It's humbling to think he deemed me worthy of his one and only son. He loved me that much. Jennifer Thompson, she shared this. She said, a maximum sacrifice from God with minimum requirements from us to benefit us with a gift 
of eternal life. Then Bill shared this, and I got to say, in my email, uh, I said, hey, limit your thoughts to three or four sentences. So if you know Bill, it was probably pretty hard uh, to limit his thoughts uh, to three or four sentences, but he did a great job. So here's what Bill said. He said, the first insight shared with me about the verse is the importance of the current tense. Eternal life is not something we get after we die. It becomes ours. We have it the moment we believe in Jesus. My eternal life is something I am living at this very moment and will simply continue with me on to eternity. Then Mark, my brother, said this. He said, through all my flaws and failure, God still loved me enough to sacrifice his son so I can spend eternity with him. As a father now, it's hard to comprehend that kind of unconditional love, but I am eternally grateful. Then Lisa Slacko, she shared this. She said, God, in his unconditional love, gave the ultimate sacrifice for undeserving sinners like me. And I am eternally grateful for that love and life every day. This verse means so much to us as believers. We reflect on these words, and now as we reflect on them, we have an understanding of the mission of God. Nicodemus knew that God loved Israel. That's what he assumed. But now Jesus comes in and says, you know what? God loves the world. He loves everyone. And as a result of that love, he gave his only son. By sending him into the world, and not only that, he sent him to the cross. There is two ways that he gives and he saves. He sent his son one way to the earth, then he sent his son to the cross. And the purpose of that is that we get this out of Christ. We get new birth. We get eternal life, and we are saved. In verse 17, he says, look, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Look, we're already condemned. He, we're, we're already fallen short. Jesus didn't have to come into the world to condemn us. We already stand condemned before a holy God. But then he came in as Savior to the world. John, he goes on in verse 18 to emphasize the importance of believing in Christ. That he who believes is delivered from the coming judgment. But the one who rejects Christ adds to his guilt. So not only are you a sinner, but you're rejecting Christ coming into this world. And then in verse 19, we kind of get a, a division within mankind. Kind of leads into verse 18, too. It says in verse 18, it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not already believe is already condemned. And it says, The light has come into the world, and people love darkness. Remember, light and darkness is a big theme through the book of John. When does Nicodemus come to visit Jesus? In the darkness. And here he is. Here it is, this conversation again about light and dark. Why do people love the darkness, it says? Well, there are stuff that their sins can be hidden. They refuse to have their sins pointed out. They don't want to be, have their shame and their conviction for all to see. But Jesus says, look, come to me. I will expose your sin, but there's also forgiveness that comes with that. John here is continuing this story, a story of light and darkness, of Christ coming into the world. 
You see, in this passage, we see an important dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. First, we see the truth of a life of regeneration in the Holy Spirit that was taught in the Old Testament, that Christ will give us a new life in him. See, there's a lot of religions out there that talk about striving and earning something, pushing towards something. But that's not what we have in Christ. We have a free gift. We have a regeneration that actually divides the human race into two people. You're either saved or you're not saved. That's it. As we look at this verse, you either understand what Christ has done in your life or you've rejected it, so, and you're still living in darkness. So as we kind of come to a close, I, I want to close with this question. And, and the question is, are you saved? Now here's the question I'm not asking. I'm not asking if you attend church your whole life. I'm not asking if you're Catholic. I'm not asking if your parents attended church. I'm not asking if you do great acts and good things. I'm not asking if you can recite Bible verses. I'm not asking if you are a moral person. What I'm asking is, are you saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit within your life? Nicodemus probably would have said, I'm a Pharisee. Of course I'm saved. Of course I'm going to the kingdom. But Jesus changes his thinking and says, no, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, I stand up here, there's nothing special about me. I'm a sinner and I sin every day. I am not perfect in any way, but I have news for you. I have found the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ, that he came to this world and lived the perfect life that he died on the cross that was for my sin. And as just as that serpent was lifted up, I look to the cross and I find my forgiveness. Worship team, you can make your way back as we get ready to close. I am still a work in progress. I am not perfect in any kind of way, but I hope that I am becoming more and more like Christ every day of my life. I don't want anybody in here to mistake the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I want to present it in a way that is more clearly than ever because there's two groups of people. Either you're saved or you're not. Either you're born again and you'll see the kingdom of God or you're not born again and you won't see the kingdom of God. And again, it's nothing that you can earn. It's nothing that you can strive for. It is a free gift of eternal life. And if you want to hear more about that, talk to the people around you. Come and talk to me. Talk to any of the leaders around here and understand what Christ has done for you. I want to read again as we close the words from John, beginning now in verse 14. And it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that he may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I pray that you would find that salvation in Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand with us and close with a song?